0: Welcome back students to the Lore of the Iron Kingdom with me, Professor Castor, as we finish out the Kadorn Warcasters list. At least everything pre-MK4, because that lore is still being established. We will be starting with Commander Oleg Strakov, Kadoran Warcaster. Few soldiers are as hated and feared by the Motherland's enemies as Commander Oleg Strakov. This is the man High Command turns to for its most dangerous missions. For if he cannot succeed, the task is truly impossible. Strakov is a consummate soldier and lives to test his limits. His combination of ruthlessness and tactical genius has earned him notoriety among Khodorin's enemies. Strakov has served the Motherland for nearly two decades. But the details of his service were known only to a select few until the invasions of Lael. Strakov spent the opening weeks of the invasion eradicating Lael's most competent commanders and warcasters. One of the more significant accomplishments was elimination of Archduke Alareg Valadrov and his entire command. The Umbrian was the Lord General of Lael's army and the master tactician and his disappearance early in the war delivered a major blow to Laelie's forces. Strachov's final operation of the Lely's war required infiltration of Marowin and destroying several major munition depots within its walls hours before the capital fell. As the invasion of Lel moved from war to occupation, Commandant Urisk called upon the commander who was recuperating from wounds sustained in Marowin, and together they outlined plans for what would become the new assault commandos. Urisk appointed Strachov to train their officer corps and forged them in the commander's image. Throughout 605 AR, Strakov personally led the assault commandos in countless battles against Signar forces, occupying trenches around Northgard. The assault commandos were instrumental in overrunning Signar's forward position at the onset of Ursk's final attack on Northgard. On more than one occasion Strakov devised and executed dangerous and high-profile operations against the enemy without waiting for approval from high command. Only the overwhelming success of these missions has kept him from any formal reprimand. Strokov and his jacks launch brutal strikes against enemy positions, hurling themselves into the midst of trenches and pillboxes to slaughter the enemy forces before they are even able to react. With each engagement, Strakov changes the face of warfare in the Iron Kingdoms to match his vision of bloody excellence. I've personally worked with Commander Strokov before, and the fun thing is, if he needs you, he doesn't need you for assistance, he needs you for distraction. Because if a, an enemy warcaster knows they're going up against Strakov, most likely they are not actually his target because, as we just read, he does not really give people the opportunity to prepare for his coming. He is Kadoran's premier assassin. Infiltration, assassination, taking out war casters and... Major points of interest alike. He is definitely a special operative to the Kadoran forces. And always fun to go with somebody who likes to push the limits every time they go onto the field. Also why he gets injured quite a bit. Moving on to Assault Commander Strakov, Kodo Warcaster Unit. With trench knives in hand, Assault Commander Oleg Strakov has spent decades carving a bloody trail through the kingdoms of Western Imoran eliminating high-profile targets and destabilizing opposing forces with well-orchestrated strikes. Having carried out numerous operations deep behind enemy lines and in some of the harshest environments imaginable, Strakov stands as a Cadorn legend and tales of his exploits are told throughout the empire. Those who tell of his deeds speak of him as more a specter than a man, an unseen force capable of accomplishing impossible tasks under the cover of night and leaving no evidence of his passage. Strakov's sole purpose in life is the advancement of the empire he is an uncompromising soldier for whom victory or death is a guiding tenet with the war between signar and Kodor reignited there is no shortage of assignments befitting a man of strykov's considerable talent in this new war strykov has been used as a scalpel to hit the enemy at key vulnerabilities and weaken their resolve he has assassinated signaran officers infiltrated pockets of Lely's resistance and even conducted covert operations deep within ord to sabotage mercenary outfits accepting coins from the wrong employers drakov's missions are often come with a unique challenges and it is the warcaster's ability to adapt that is so often a result in victory he possesses an uncanny ability to blend in where he is unwelcome taking advantages of enemy uniforms and hard earned intelligence to avoid detection and conduct sabotage. The commander's familiarity with a wide array of combat gear facilitates this sort of subterfuge, along with his fluency in several languages and a knack for accents. When attempts at stealth must be set aside, the Warcaster is almost unparalleled in launching quick and decisive assaults. Strakov also relies on a diverse team of operatives and dedicated soldiers serving alongside him. For over six years, he has personally managed the evolution of the Assault Commando Corps, one of the Kodor's most elite military outfits. Under Strakov's guidance, they have become a vital component in the Kadoran military, often deployed where combat is thickest or tasked with clearing defenses in preparation for larger invading forces. As the Assault Commandos expands, Strakhov has continued to oversee their development. From their ranks, he has handpicked the most promising soldiers to fight alongside him, in the field. Only one commando in a hundred is seen to be worthy enough to join Thrukoff's inner circle, and being selected for such a role is regarded as an honor. These individuals exemplify speed, precision, and unflinching dedication. Strikes made by such outfits either leave no survivors or avoid eyewitnesses altogether, and assignments given to Strakov and his elites are considered guaranteed to succeed by those in the military's upper echelons. Elite commandos train in a manner that allows any combination of operations to function effectively as a team. This allows personnel to be chosen for missions that best match their particular talents. When the assignment is received from the High Commands, Throckhoff evaluates the upcoming mission and then selects soldiers for it in much the same way as he selects the tools most suited for the task. Once in the field, these teams function with a rootless efficiency. Working in tight coordination, they charge trenches under cover of poison gas while delivering shots of armor-piercing rounds with pinpoint accuracy. The movements of these members complementing and covering the other. Yet, they are just as capable of creeping through urban landscape to catch their targets unawares. Like the warcasters responsible for their rise, they can be called upon to handle any situation the motherland requires. As Khador continues to expand its empire, soldiers like Strakov are pivotal to lasting victory. His contributions to the nation's goals are numerous and his disinterest and fame he has achieved only serves to make his dedication all the more admirable. More than just accomplishing the impossible time and again, Strakov has risen to stand as a testament to the iron will all true Kadorans possess. It is through examples such as his that the rank of the motherland pushes forward into wars of tomorrow with the grim determination necessary to obtain victory. I've worked with this particular version of Strakov at least once. Although, honestly, even though I was working with him, I didn't know where he was at or what he was doing. All I knew was I had to keep some people distracted. As yet again, most mercenaries with Strakov are usually only used for distraction. Honestly, I probably didn't need to know or want to know what he was doing. Let's move on. Alrighty, the time some of you have been waiting for. Let's discuss Vladimir Tvesky, the Dark Prince. Kodor, Warcaster Even in times of old before the Iron Kingdoms, when certain lands of Kodor were in the province of barbaric tribes, among those who rode to battle were some possessed of rugged honor who united their people with clarity of vision. Chieftains ruled these hordes, and horse lords ruled the chieftains. Of noble stock, horse lords ruled for generations with oppressive strength, calculated cruelty, and with the dominant of chaos of the world. The Tibeskis, are one of the strongest families to rule Kodor's eastern territories. Indeed, a millennia ago the Tibeskis were the governors of old Korska, before it fell into ruin. They even held the throne of Kodor for a time. Though reduced in influence, the Tibesky name still resonates with Kodor's eastern people. Vladimir Tibesky holds the title of Great Prince, a ruler of a limited number of great houses that govern the Velaskia, or provinces, of Kodor each with a limited sovereignty over their territories, yet he represents much more. Umbri was its own kingdom in ancient times, and its people have remained proud of their heritage and eager to see that kingdom reunited. It is upon the Tibeskis family they pin this hope. Recent conflicts created an opportunity for this to come to pass, which has only elevated the status of Vladimir Tabeski in the eyes of all Umbrian people. Many esteemed and powerful families, including several other great princes, Oh, his family fealty, from old oats set in bone and sworn in blood. The influence he wields in this region has been enough to create a constant tension within the capital, where he has, at times, been considered a possible threat to the Vanar dynasty. Above all else, he is a living relic of past glories and bloody deeds. Prophecy delivered to the Tibeski kings of old tells a great doom to befall Kodor when Tibeski's line comes to an end. Those who know of this legend called Vladimir Tobesky the Dark Prince, so powerful is blood in his veins that men shy away from his gaze. He is a man of few words, accustomed to being heard when he speaks. As some are born to capture strength and beauty with paints, or to write great works of poetry, Vladimir was born to make war. He has waged many campaigns in his service to the nation, as a brilliant tactician as well as a potent warcaster a swordsman with few equals. He brings swift death to all who dare to cross his blades with him. Worthy opponents, he treats to longer duels, but he dispatches most enemies with little consideration. Also from personal experience, even if it's a friendly duel, he'll still draw blood because that's just the kind of man that he is. Vladimir takes great pride in wearing the ancient plate of his forefather. Although it has been some sorcerer's repairs over the centuries, it is the same suit of crimson mail his ancestors, Prince Brovan Tabeski award to the battle against the Orga. Vladimir has served the crown in training other warcasters. It is no great secret that he became intimately acquainted with the promising young Sorska Kratikov during his mentoring. Little is publicly known of this affair other than it seemed to end abruptly but may have been subsequently resumed, though the two have only rarely been seen together since. Whatever the nature of this relationship, it changed them both. There is some initial speculation that Storska was rebuffed due to her lowly heritage, but those who know Vladimir cannot credit such a motive and believe the situation was more complicated than it appeared. Whatever the case, Vladimir seemed determined to stay true to the legacy of his forefather, who were always committed to their duties even at the expense of their own happiness. There are those who call such notions and his adherence to ancient tradition exercises in vanity, but Vladimir Tbesky is part of a code that defines him and connect him to his past. Though Vladimir is respected for his great accomplishments, not all who meet him love him. It is whispered among the courts that the time of Tbesky's needs to end, and some see Vladimir as an unpleasant reminder of a vanished era. These conspirators anticipate the day when the Dark Prince falls and the vast treasures of the Tbesky family are annexed into the vaults of the Kadorn treasury i've worked with vladimir especially the younger version of vladimir multiple multiple times and i would say he is probably one of the best duelists in Kodor, if not the best also his ability to fire ordinary men to great feats of strength and speed on the battlefield is something to admire he makes heroes out of all of them let's move on vladimir tebesky the dark champion Kodor Warcaster. Then Vladimir Zbetsky flows the blood of kings. All his life, the prospect of doom has hunted him, a specter lurking in beyond the edges of his vision. Skulking behind every battle and behind every enemy, it has served as a constant reminder of his past and his future. His blood is as potent as a Kedarvik and as powerful as the soul of Khodor itself. In the final days of the invasion of Lael, Vladimir nearly gave his life battling the minions of Krix. The old witch of Kodor sought the prince out and found him dying in the thornwood after his courageous efforts. The ancient hag took him up and bore him in her earthen lair. Deaf of the rumbles of the passing battles and murmurs of Kaazi seeking to claim his land and title, the dark prince lay in a feverish slumber. Days passed into weeks and weeks became months. Throughout the motherland Vladimir was presumed dead. For no sign of him had been discovered since the battle against the Crixians. Within the witch's caverns, however, his body grew stronger and he dreamed. As the sole remaining member of his royal line, Vladimir is as dear to the old witch as a child to his grandmother. She saw to his wounds and spoke secrets in his ears as he slept. Guiding by her prophetic whispers, Vladimir saw terrible visions of the future and his role in them. There is no place in these dreams for weakness, and Vladimir tore himself from his torpor when he awoke he found himself whole his body restored and his spirit strong the prince labored tirelessly in the old witch's dimly lit caverns to forge his shattered weapons into a single blade called the great sword dominion vladimir returned to the world with his destiny revealed to him and his purpose renewed and the old witches imparted doom tightened around him Raising his army, he ventured again into the Thornwood to play out his part in the prophecy. There in the benighted ruins of the Temple of Gorod, Vladimir fought Lich Lord Asphyxias, who seemed invincible. In the heat of the desperate battle, it was revealed to him that the only way to prevent the Lichlord's bid for godhood was to strike down the Harbinger of Mineth, who opened her arms for him and did not evade the blow. Only a few know the necessity of this deed and the terror averted by her sacrifice which has given Vladimir an undeserved reputation as the heretic and enemy of the southern Mennites. He has not concerned himself with such rumors, however, for his mind remains, as ever, on his duty. As the rightful heir to the throne of Umbri, a nation it would be his destiny to reunite and lead for the first time in centuries, Vladimir quickly learned that the balance increasing conflict and in demands placed on him. With quiet conviction he has come to walk a careful line and honoring both his loyalty to empress Venar and the umbrian blood he shares with his people he is their champion the vows he has made in their name strengthen his hold on the sword he wields against all who would threaten his people or the motherland i've also fought alongside vladimir after the thornwood war as well and his ability that he actually gets stronger when he is damaged is actually kind of remarkable and terrifying at the same time and the fact that now he can raise entire units into hero levels of strength speed and agility is kind of remarkable as well almost dying changed him a lot much like Balder whenever he died and came back from <laughs> the near abyss and his focus and determination has changed him quite a bit let's move on Vladimir Tepesky the Great Prince of Umbri, Kodor Warcaster. For the first time in generations the people of umbri stand united behind their rightful lord reclaiming the birthright denied his family for centuries great prince vladimir Tibeski rides into battle wielding weapons of the ancient tabeski horse lords and leading the people of umbri to seize their destiny while the umbrian lands have been under Cadorn rule since the empire conquered lael their fate was initially uncertain many among the nobles and kiazis sought to claim them but driven by greater purpose, Vladimir persisted even as he fought in the Empress's name. He steadily won the loyalty of all Umbrians who gathered to his banner, whether Cadoran or former Lelys. Proving her political prowess, Empress Venar declared that any noble who would be considered for the lands of Umbri would have to fight to defend them against external enemies. Amid escalating Crixine and Solmenite assaults, only Vladimir was willing to risk his life for the Umbrian people. By the empress's decree, the two smaller Veluskis and the single Lely's duchy that had been Umbri were joined into a single massive Volusk beholden to Great Prince Tepeski. The Great Prince was left to defend Umbri virtually on his own, which freed up the soldiers stationed there to fight in other battles. Though Vladimir had been able to defend Volusk, against the invading armies of Crixian undead and the Protectorate Zealots, Signar's new king has also set his sights on conquest of Lael, so once more Vladimir Tepesky must write into battle. Should he fail, the shamed will fall on him alone. He has gathered his vassals and great Umbrian hosts to wage the latest war in his homeland, and his soldiers know they fight for their destiny as well as the safety of their families and ancestral lands. Vladimir has gone so far as to cement his ties to the crown by entering into the engagement with Empress Ayan Vanar, thus united in the royal lines for the first time in history. Though other Cadoran nobles see this as a shrewd political move, one that will make the impossible for his detractors to accuse him of sedition, it is also with great sacrifice. Once again, Vladimir puts aside his own desires for the needs of his nation, knowing that in this union, he can avoid the prophesied doom that might otherwise bring darkness to his people. Vladimir Tabeski rides his warhorse Sada into the head of the elite guard of heavy cavalry and wields the weapons of his ancient namesake, who unsurped the throne and United Umbri four centuries ago. Carrying the spear in one hand and a mace huntsman in the other, Vladimir feels his blood stirring with power as he lashes out with dark sorceries during battle. This particular Vladimir is a sight to behold on that horse though, he is definitely the Umbrian king they have been waiting for for centuries. Also his gagement was probably a, a blow to poor Sorska and probably explains... How she moved up to the Man of War Division being so icy cold that she just permeates cold. Makes sense. Let's move on. Moving on to Commander Alexandra Sarkova, Kodor Greylord Warcaster. For years, the Greylord's Covenant has plundered crypts and forgotten tombs for ancient secrets and weapons to employ in the name of the Motherland. Alexandra Zarkova is among the most ambitious and ruthless of these occult researchers. She has become a living repository of esoteric and unholy lore. The Zarkova name strikes envy and fear into the ears of Northern and Southerners alike. This long line of distinguished officers has contributed to the strategy legacy taught in the Druzhnia, Kodor's officer academy. It was Zarkova who led the attacks against the Ord during the Second Expansion War, and the kingdom remembers that Zarkova is sadistic villain even some cadorans however associate the family with an obsession to lost secrets and dubious roads to power for the last four generations in particular an interest in the occult studies has gone hand in hand with their patriotic zeal alexandra's father set her to the mastery of dead languages and her childhood passed surrounded with dusty tombs the ways of magic came naturally to her. After inductions to the Great Lord Covenant, Alexandra demonstrated the beginning of a lifelong interest in ancient civilizations and their mysteries. High Bavanka Arbiter Vasily Dermilosk granted her authorization to travel abroad unsupervised in search of weapons for the motherland, and she spent over a decade venturing into ruins such as Old Vragan and descending deep into the uncovered Orgot chambers within the mines of Kardov. She has amassed an impressive collection of mystical relics from across Western Amorin. Her activities were not limited to the occult investigation, however. During the night of the Howling Wolves preceding the Siege of Marowin in 605 AR, Alexander led a strike force against the city's lodge of fraternal order of wizardry. She obliterated those arrogant wizards with such thoroughness and efficiency that the means by which they vanished remains a mystery. Zarkova's stronghold, was one of the first targets of the retribution of Skira when it conducted a series of attacks inside Kodor in 608 AR. Only the most highly ranked in the covenant knew that Alexandra had secured priceless relics, and a few suspected she held the slumbering elven god Nisor. Her efforts to pry the secrets from the god's frozen encasement were cut short when the elves reclaimed Nisor's frozen body. Though Serkova was one forced abandon several carefully secured facilities, this did not deter her from her research. Zerkova throws both soldiers and warjacks into battle with equal abandon, and most who come to know her deem her as heartless and cruel. She will go to any length to accomplish her goals, but Alexander's voice commands respect in halls of power. She is a woman of destiny, whether the legacy of destiny is one of triumph or ruin remains to be seen. I've never personally got to work with Alexander Sokova, but you hear stories of her cruelty in war and her use of Orgoth relics is kind of terrifying, especially since I'm not sure if everybody knows exactly how those work to begin with. But I digress and we move on. Obavnik Commander Sokova and Riverguard through her fearsome reputation and ruthless tactics and occult knowledge, Alexandra Zrkova has scaled the ranks of the Greylorn Covenant faster than any believed possible. Her willingness to utilize any knowledge available to her made her increasingly dangerous. For Zerkova's military protocol and conventional morality are weaknesses to exploit rather than principles to follow. Time and again she has proven to be a master of the occult as well as espionage. Years ago, Zerkova was involved in a secret seizure and investigation of the powerful NIS relic recovered from Korsk. In fact, she had unknowingly taken possession of a vault containing the frozen elven god Nizor to find an enormous significance. Her studies were cut short by IOs and strikes on the two hidden Greylord facilities deep in Kodor. Zerkova ultimately entered into an unsanctioned collaboration with the unliving elven orcaster gorshade and a failed attempt to recover the frozen Nisor vault which the retribution of skira had secured and returned to ios this demonstrates the links that she is willing to go for knowledge even to the point of provoking hostilities with foreign powers without regard for the plans of the empire or the desires of her superiors her disregard for protocol earned her the ire of a number of prominent aboptics. Several of whom sought to halt her operation, but Serkova was aided by the High Avnik Arbiter Vasily Demrechovsk, the head of the Grey Lord Covenant. The High Abovnik found Zerkova's research invaluable and prized her successes, despite her questionable methods. In the face of the concerns over Serkova's disregard for the chain of command, the High Abovnik promoted her the Warcaster to the rank of Bavnik and late 608 AR, shielding her from interferences within the Order. With her promotion, Zerkova's quest for power has only gained momentum. With forbidden relics and entourage of guardians enslaved to her will, she flaunts occult powers that far overshadows that of her ancestors. Unhindered, she delves into Forgotten Orgoth and Mordic Ruins and other accursed places, seeking lore and relics while eliminating anyone who gets in her way. I've never actually worked with her, but I've seen her and I was always wondering how she gets those Doom Reaver guards she has running around with, they're all not crazy as Doom Reavers usually are. Although her occult powers are of course mystical and kind of terrifying, and her morality as it mentioned are probably pretty loose. The bane of both Urusk and Vladimir alike. (laughs) Let's move on. Orsus Zoktavir, the Butcher of Kordov also known as The Butcher, just for reference, Kadoran Warcaster. The varied cultures of Kodor's vast lands are proud of their fighting spirit, and Orsif's Zaktavir embodies elements of each of these proud lines. Although his parentage is uncertain, each of the people of Kodor have at times claimed him as their own, seven and a half feet tall and over half as wide. He is a massive man who is manifestation of natural arcane skill in early life. Orsa's past is wrapped in mystery. None seemed to know of his life before he appeared in Korsk with two old warjacks in tow, demanding to be enlisted in the army. He was sent to the Orgoth fortress turned industrial city named Kordov, which would become his only home. Before long he was given his first command and dispatched to the and southern border alongside the 5th border legion. He gained notoriety during these patrols in 587 AR when a village just north of Gate Keep was accused of attempting to withdraw from Kodor to join the Ord. Orsos took it upon himself to crush the traitorous rebellion. When a waiting contingent of militiamen tried to parley, Orsos howled and charged. What followed was carnage. Halfway through the slaughter the militiamen surrendered, but Orsos kept cutting them down. His accompanying soldiers tried to restrain him, but in the wild rage he turned on his own men and with his massive axe rent everyone into pieces. His fury was boundless. Moments later, the dismembered parts of 88 soldiers lay strewn in the village square. Those who witnessed the aftermath told of blood so thick in the muddy streets, the rats had to leap from one body to the next to avoid drowning. These events became known as the Borgates Massacre. Also history lesson, whose father died during that particular massacre? I think she might be named Sorska? Word spread quickly, earning Orsos the title of the Butcher of Kardav and the news ultimately reached the ears of the newly crowned Queen Anne Vanar. The pragmatic young queen absolved the warrior of blame, openly condoning his behavior as the reaction of any true patriot. Most of her commanders guessed at the queen's true intent, and parading a new weapon against the internal dissent, she instilled fear that to speak or act against her could result in a visit from the butcher. Her maneuvers had the desired effect and instantly stifled all speculations of whether the new queen would be a strong monarch. The butcher remains both an embodiment of Anvanar's strength and a potent symbol of the consequences of treachery. Younger warcasters view him with disdain do not comprehend his leniency he has been afforded by the high command. More traditional warcasters like Vladimir Tepesky see him as nothing more than a weapon. Arsist Octavir wields his axe Lola, named after a love whose loss fuels his rage, with singular fury. He wears a modified suit of steam powered armor that was shaped from the hull of a warjack to suit his frame by loyal battle mechanics once in his service. In its protective casing, the Butcher is a force of destruction, a one-man wrecking crew. Soldiers across Western Amoran cannot forget the vision of an axe-wielding giant, a man from their nightmares becoming a living personification of warfare and bloodshed. I have worked alongside the Butcher. I've fought against the butcher and in both cases it was about the same thing he is definitely a man fueled by rage i'm curious if him and Karchov the terrible get along that'd be an interesting combination to see on the battlefield and i'm sure some laylee soldiers have probably seen that before let's move on commander orsis zaktavir kota warcaster constant battles against the enemies of the motherland have deepened the madness of Orzos Xoktavir and brought forth a dark echo from the depths of his being. The only soldiers who feel an affinity with the man commonly known as the Butcher are Doom Reavers, for they recognize in him the same force that whispers to them and the urge them to slaughter. Even those who endorse unleashing Orsos as a weapon against their enemies have begun to doubt the wisdom of this course. The invasion of Lael seemed to be Commander Xoktavir's finest hour. He hurled himself against the Redwall fortress like a force of nature. It had been the strongest point of resistance, the great garrison of the Lely's army supported by massive contingents of Signaran soldiers. The stones of Redwall fell to the demolition corps, and it was Orsus d'Octavir to be the first that pushed through the breach. He swept through enemies as his warjacks emulated the berserker rage, tearing through any obstacle in their path. Some speculate that Commander Ursk hoped that the Butcher would perish in the attack and take the most uncontrollable of his followers with him. That was indeed the goal, it failed utterly. As the conquest continues, Commander Ursk faced a difficult conundrum. The Ghidoran forces were in to annex land and resources, not to wipe out its inhabitants. Orsus was mindful of these orders in the calm light of day, yet when the battle madness came upon him, there was no stopping him. Orsus was sent southwest, thrown into battle and allowed to engage his appetites where they could bring little harm to the motherland. When he was given more specific orders, his objectives were often extremely hazardous, and he rarely returned unwounded. In the final stages of the Gadoran conquest of Thornwood, Orsus' bloodlust reached a new height and he led an unauthorized suicidal attack into the well-fortified Sigdarn fortress city of felig not even his prodigious fury and strength were sufficient to the task when he failed to return some members of the high command breathed a sigh of relief months later Orsus walked out of the wilderness as if he had never vanished whatever transpired during those months remains unexplained what is evident though is that his rage has not diminished even his arcane powers are affected by his inner demons. They surge up and then simmer low, like the memories hunting him. Never at peace, so Doctavir is only at home amid the chaos of war. And when they say his arcane powers rise and diminish during battle, they're not kidding. He either goes into a, a rage where he's killing hundreds of men, or he actually casts one spell or two during his more fluid eras. He's quite a man to behold and very, very, very dangerous. He even spreads that rage to his warjacks, if you can believe it. Moving on. Commander Zoktavir, the Butcher Unleashed. Orsus Zoktavir's story is savage and brutal, and his name is synonymous with slaughter and madness. Those who have observed him fighting side by side with his pairs of two-headed hounds see these ferocious beasts as an apt reflection of his untamable darkness. Though his patriotism is without question, its fanatical nature has caused him to turn on any he suspects of acting against his nation. A precarious standard, given that he is a subject of delusion. For Commander Zoktavider, any moment that does not bring a soldier closer to the enemy is cowardice, and any action that does not bring death to the enemy is treasonous. His killing prowess and potency of warcasters make him seemingly invulnerable when he is swept up in the frenzy of destruction. But even he has limits. His self-destructive impulses nearly laid him low when Orsus, defying the orders given to him during the Siege of Felig, let himself be goaded into an impossible attack. Outnumbered a hundred to one, he committed to an orgy of slaughter against the horrified defenders violating orders, his soldiers fled, leaving Orsos to fight on alone. Beyond exhaustion and driven from the battlefield, he wandered off in the delirious haze, eventually collapsing an eastern ord. Death would have been certain if not for an unexpected kindness. A young ordic servant girl found the unconscious giant and tended his wounds. She was repaid for her good deed, with turmoil and chaos, when the butcher learned she had been mistreated by her masters. He flew into a rage and demolished the estate where she worked. Even at his most compassionate, Orsos Zoktavir is a force of destruction. He plunged back into Thornwood and returned to the Kadoran army, the only place where he knew his purpose. His return through the Thornwood was a nightmare descent into the visions of his warped mind, exacerbated when he immediately confronted with accusations of criminal misconduct, while walking the army camp of quiet thoughts, the butcher discovered a dog trainer about to put down a pair of Argus. Feeling a kinship to the beast, Orsus saved them. Though his own comrades might shun him, in these untamable beasts, he found companionship and acceptance. In turn, the Argus gained an uncompromising master every bit as fierce as they were. He had come to appreciate their unspoken loyalty when he feels unmoored or incapable of discerning friend from foe they well, do say dog is a man's best friend, although anybody who's ever seen an Argus are actually two-headed dogs, not just the one. And usually hanging out with the Druidic folk, not usually a Cadoran warcaster. And again, I've never actually worked with this particular, more unhinged version of the Butcher, if you can say that. Although I have heard his abilities to demolish entire units in one one round, or pulling a bunch of people close to him when they definitely don't want to be close to him is one of his fun abilities. And if people weren't scared of war before, even the most seasoned veterans are scared of going up against the butcher. Alrighty class, that concludes all the known Condorn Warcasters. Uh, Thank you for hanging out with me for this course. I know it took us two or three classes to finish out the Kadoran Warcasters. Next week, we should be starting the Circle of Oberos Warbeasts chapters. Which should be fun, because the Circle of Oberos have some very, very unique Warbeasts at their disposal. And as always, if you like War Machines, Iron Kingdoms, or Hordes lore please like and subscribe. Tell your friends to come listen to us. Make any comments on your particular platform that you listen to this on. And if you have any wants for any of our quick courses or any ideas of what you want to do on those, please let me know and I will try to knock them out for you. As always, class dismissed. We'll see you next week.